It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ready. Play. Hello, everybody, and in particular, hello, Owen, uh, who is, am I right, East Coast US? Yes. Uh, Damien, who's in uh, sunny Poland? I, I don't know if it's sunny. It's definitely <laughs> muddy. It's definitely rainy, but it is Poland, indeed. Uh, and Vanch, who is uh, in, in certainly sunny California. Yep, it is quite sunny here. Good, good, good. I, I was wondering if I was going to commit an own goal there and you're going to say, actually, today it's raining. But I don't know. How, how often does it rain where you are, Vanch, by the way? Not very often. We, we really don't get more than 10 inches of rain every, every year and really only in January and February and some of the days. Rest of the year, very dry and sunny. Wasn't there a day at the tennis this year, a tournament, and suddenly it started yeah. raining and everyone's like, going, what on earth is this stuff coming from the sky? Yep, the San Diego Open. Um, particularly that Saturday, the semifinals, I was there. It was raining the whole day. It was never seen anything like it in October. Cool. Uh, hi, Zoltan. Nice to uh, have you on board today. Uh, by the way, for those of you tuning in and uh, wondering what the hell we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about matches of the year, but more specifically, we're going to be talking about matches that I didn't do in the uh, series of seven. You'll see the series of seven matches uh, shooting across the bottom of the screen to remind both me and uh, my three guests, but also you, the audience, for you wondering why we didn't talk about Sinner Alcaraz at the US Open today. It's already been done. Check it out. I had a chat with Gil Gross about that uh, a week or so ago, or at least it went live a week or so ago. So check out all the episodes in the series. But for today, we're going to be talking about matches that I didn't include. And there's various reasons for that. And um, let's just have a quick look at some of the matches. I saw that uh, Vanch sent me in a message earlier. Let's begin at the beginning of the year in terms of the Australian Open. I had to trim Vanch's list down, by the way, which was fairly extensive. And there's still been a few that we had to take off. But at the Australian Open, we had Medi against Felix, um, um, amongst others. We will touch on that in a second, and I'll give you a few minutes to just think about that, uh, guys. Uh, we've also got Osaka Anisimova. I think we're going to go into a bit of a deeper dive about that one. Uh, I'm actually just going to mention Alcaraz Berrettini, by the way. Five sets, super tie break. But let me tell you now, guys, I'm not even sure it came in the top five for Alcaraz this year or top seven for Alcaraz this year. That's how good and unbelievable year he has had. Um, we've got the seven on the screen. Are there any, Damien, that you can see on that list of seven that you're thinking, mm, not sure if that would have been in my top seven for the year? Uh, yeah, let me see the list. Um, Garcia Kasatkina, that's a one that's kind of, you know, I thought I was on quite safe. I thought I was on quite safe footing with that one, Damien. Actually, I think for me, the one uh -huh. to be honest with you, the one that stood out for me is Nadal Fritz. But I'll I'll, I'll address that in a second. You're not keen on Kazakina uh, Garcia at uh, Fort Worth. It was fine in general. I think you know women's tennis kind of suffers from the fact that we don't get best of five play because so many of our peaks are going to be best of five, of course. True. Uh, still, I probably would have chosen something else, but 
I don't know. I guess it was just okay for me. Not really much of the year contender. Uh, the same goes for Sirina Tomljanovic, but that's, of course, you know, there are other reasons at play, uh, yeah. other factors. When it, kind, when it comes to the men's on the lists, I think they're fine, although I have a few, con- you know, a few peaks that for me are a lot better, but um, I yeah. think they deserve to be mentioned all, you know, all of them. And they will be. They will be, Damien. I, 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 what do you think, Owen, regarding Kazakina Garcia? I, I, for me, I thought I was on quite solid ground with that one. Uh, I actually didn't see that one. Um, didn't see a couple of these, but I, I can't comment on Nadal Fritz. I I might switch that one out because I, I did catch most of that, and I thought it was kind of a painful watch for a lot of it just because it wasn't mm-hmm. clear whether Nadal was going to continue. And then by the time it was clear and sort of picked up in the fourth and the fifth. I thought enough time had already passed by that point to rule it out. Yeah, I, I completely understand that. And and there's various reasons it made my, my seven, but cr- most crucially when I reached out to a bunch of commentators and journalists and experts. And as I say, really, I wanted to make sure that I had people who were there in the thick of the action at the time uh, in the audience. Uh, the guy I spoke to Robbie Koenig said, actually, I didn't attend. Uh, any of these other three or four options that I was probably leaning more towards. But I was at Fritz uh, against Nadal. And I was like, well, so was I, actually. Um, And so there was sort of something that we could both chat about. I mean, I was in the crowd just, you know, from a different perspective. He was there as a commentator. So that's pretty much why that was there. I still thought it was epic for various different reasons, but I completely agree. There's a good good bunch of contenders that probably had a slightly higher level that we're going to be discussing today. Um... Okay, I think I'm on pretty solid ground with the other six, though. I know we touched on Garcia, Kazakina, Avanch. Are there any other sort of in there that you think? I mean, Nadal, Medvedev, and Sinner, Alcaraz uh, are just obvious ones. Uh, I wanted to get a few women's ones in there. Sviontek Krajcikov, I think, was probably the highest level of the year, but I don't know if you've got any other thoughts on that, Vanch. Um, yeah, no, I, I picked uh, Sviontek Krajcikov for my match of the year as well. I thought that was really high level throughout all three sets. Uh, it was the only final that Iga lost uh, all year, but um, in terms of the majors, there weren't actually there were actually more matches of the year on the WTA outside of the majors um, yeah. this year. And maybe the ones that I, only uh, ones that I can think of in the majors were like Muguruza Kvitova. I thought was very good at the U.S. Open mm-hmm. uh, round three, and then I yeah. think uh, at the Australian Open, um, uh, Amanda Anisimova against Naomi Osaka. Round three, where Anisimova ended up saving a couple of match points, and the winner of that would have also played Barty. So I thought that was a good storyline. Then great, um, Vanch. Let's let's begin with that one because I did have Muguruza um, Kvitova on my sort of three or four outside of the seven that that I didn't do, uh, but it didn't quite make it, and I didn't really pursue it that much. But let's talk about Anisimova Osaka as we touch on it. It did happen at the beginning of the year. For many, it was quite a long time ago. Owen, tell me your thoughts on that match. I thought it was great. Um, both players had have so much easy power that when they would rally, it was sort of like they were just hitting a boulder back and forth because every shot had so much weight on it. Um, and towards the end, I thought they were both near the top of their games. Um, so with Anasimova saving a couple of those match points and then it going to a super tie break, they were both hitting some Titanic winners on big points. Um, I thought it was a great atmosphere. Um, or so I thought through my laptop screen, I uh, wasn't there sadly. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a really good dramatic high quality. Yeah, right. Of course, you will be there uh, in a couple of weeks, right, Owen? Yeah. Um, it feels weird to talk about because um, just I'm not there yet. So I feel like I'm going to jinx it somehow. Okay, we won't dwell on it too much. Uh, and nice to have Shrihui on board today. I know he'll have one or two uh, ideas on matches that, that he thinks should be in our list. By the way, um, let us know your thoughts in the live chat as well, what what matches that uh, you would sort of definitely have on, on your top five or ten matches of the year. Vanch, what are your memories of this match? Yeah, I remember this match being built up quite well because um, Anisimova was started the year strong. She was working with Darren Cahill. She had won a title, and she was looking good, and so was Naomi. She was looking a lot better than she was the towards the end of 2021 and at the U.S. Open, and she just seemed in a lot better physical shape as well. Um, and so that so right away from the first set, I knew this was going to be good. There was really good ball striking from from both players. I thought both their some of their backhand cross-court rallies in this match were really good, really high level, and it was up to whoever was going to pull the trigger down the line to essentially find openings in these rallies, um, particularly because they're both such good baseliners, um, and they hit very heavy on the baseline as well. Um, and so it was, yeah, some of the rallies I thought were pretty entertaining, like Anisimova in that first set hit a bunch of winners, but it still wasn't enough. 
because Osaka was getting to everything and she was turning defense into attack so well. Um, and then it sort of flipped the other way around in the second set. And then we got a very compelling uh, third set in which Anasimova saved those two match points and then ended up winning in a super tiebreak. Damien, I always think that a match where one player has match points and doesn't go on to win it does give it extra kudos you know, in, in, in discussions like this. Yeah, for sure. It's not like any match with match points saved will be a match of the year contender, but no. it certainly helps. It adds to the drama. It adds to the story. This is something that we will remember for you know years to come. And uh, yeah, I, I I just think you know looking at it now, it might seem like okay, Anisimova eliminated Osaka. Of course, Amanda has had a good year. Osaka has barely done much after Miami, but back yeah. then it didn't really feel like that, right? It was just, you know, Osaka was still the defending champion, still having won like, what, four of the last seven hardcore slams or something crazy like that. And, and yeah, so that, that's why it was huge because finally it seemed like she will, you know, she wasn't that, as, as I think one of you guys mentioned, she was actually going to play Barty in the next round. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was a, a quarter from hell already. And yet she gets uh, Anisimova, who's obviously, you know, the, the peak is very high. Um, she, she won uh, at 250 just before the, just before the event. So, um, yeah, the, the match definitely was way more huge in January than it looks right now in December. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe that's why, you know, so some guys who, you know, it, we can just maybe uh, looking back at it, we may, we may think Anisimova beating Osaka, what's that? And actually it was, it was a really huge result. Maybe, you know, because Barty was awaiting in the next round, we knew that we were going to get a good one uh, in, in, in round four already as well. But maybe because Barty was unplayable, you know, the, the, the meaning of that match, uh, you know, it, it didn't really matter in the end. But it was it was definitely one of the, the funniest, uh, one, one of the most fun uh, experiences of the Australian Open 2022. Yeah, for sure. My my memories for the Australian Open actually are a bit stronger in terms of Daniel Collins. Although, funny enough, the the mind can play tricks on itself because actually I looked at her run recently, and it, it from memory it seemed like a quite a tough run. But actually, she didn't drop as many sets as I thought. Um, but I think maybe she was in an epic early on, and that that stuck with me. But actually, of course, with Osaka here, it's kind of the reverse of what happened the year before. I think exactly the same stage. I think it was the third round against Muguruza. I don't know if you remember that one, Owen. Yeah. Um, and I remember that one, even at the time when she saved those match points, it was like, this could be a sort of, not like a final before the final, but it's like, if she goes on to win, we'll look back yeah. on this. And um, and it's funny to kind of view Osaka and Asimova through that lens, because if I'm remembering right, I think there was a lot of debate between Osaka and Barty as who was the favorite of the tournament, because, you know, okay. Barty was number one, but back then, Osaka was defending champion, as we see on the screen there. He's won four majors already. And so even though Vardy was the form player, it was like Osaka was sort of that one question mark, like, can she beat Osaka? Because Osaka is, you know, the hardcore queen. And um, and so I think this match was pretty significant because Anisimova prevented that matchup from happening. And then Vardy had a pretty easy time with her in the next round. Um, so I kind of wonder if this match also had ramifications for how the year ended up going. Are there, is there any awareness about Osaka and is she going to Australia? Does anyone know? Um, yes. Go on, Vanch. I think as far as I know, she's on the list, but okay. I haven't. Uh, I don't really know too much else. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I think we would look through Osaka against Anisimova as well a year on through a very different lens and knowing what um, what happened uh, in terms of Barty's you know fairly easy run to winning that tournament. I think we would probably view this match slightly differently, perhaps in terms of Osaka, and that's how it is. But listen, let's move on. There were other matches at the Australian Open. I can see Shrihui mentioning. Uh, Felix Medvedev, I think that definitely needs to get a, a mention. Five sets as well. And another match, of course, that had uh, match points in it, but um, ended up being won by the other player, if you like. And I think um, Medvedev, of course, had he gone on to win the title, and it, it looked like that at various stages that he would, that would be a match that he would have gone on uh, gone on to look back on. Um, Vanch, any memories of Medvedev, Felix? Yeah, I remember this one having so much drama in it because... Um, and obviously, you had the backstory of Medvedev beating Felix very easily at the day, uh, the ATP Cup. It was like four and zero, and it was not that competitive. And they played the year they, they played the year before in the U.S. Open semis, where um, Felix had a chance to make it one set all and had a set point and missed a really easy volley. 
Otherwise, that match might have played out very different. But um, this one, it was Felix who came out re playing super well, serving extremely big, really good first strike tennis, but also hanging with Medvedev in the baseline rallies and using his inside-out forehand really effectively and hitting with a lot of precision and you know had to hit many lines to win points against Medvedev's defense, but managed to do so and was um, was playing a very complete game overall for two sets and really flummoxing Medvedev, particularly when it looked like in the first set Medvedev might win the tiebreak, but didn't really didn't really pan out that way, and it remained competitive all throughout the third set as well. And um, he even had a break point to finish the maybe potentially finish the job in straight sets, which would have been like one of the biggest upsets considering where Medvedev was at at the time at that time in his career and was probably the favorite going into the tournament. Um, especially once Djokovic wasn't playing it. So um, from that standpoint, it was quite huge. And Medvedev uh, had to fight against, uh, you know, his opponent and the the crowd even at times uh, got quite a, quite a bit involved, I seem to remember, at least watching on the TV screen. That's what it looked like. And then we had a really, really tight fifth set as well all the way. And there was a match point save, which Medvedev hit a very good wide serve, saving it. And it finished at about five or six in the morning my time. And I remember... I was uh, writing a school paper, and I and I said, "Oh, I'd probably just do this in an hour or two. And I started in midnight. I started at midnight, and it ended up taking five hours because I was doing it while watching this match. <laughs> and I ended up basically putting pulling an all-nighter, which wasn't the plan, but it was so compelling that um, it just like had Medvedev lost that match, you know, would have been interesting to see an alternate universe what would have happened. Uh, but it set Felix up really well for for February, where he ended up doing very well indoors and winning his first title." getting that monkey off his back and then making another final. Um, so I think it was huge for for uh, Felix just to come yeah. that close and, you know, not get the win. Damien, would this be in your seven if you could have any seven from the from the, from the the year? Probably not in my seven, but you know, it's one of the contenders. Can't really yeah. disagree with this. Uh, it wasn't one of these matches where the favorite goes zero to down, then wins a set and then just steamrolls all the way to the end. Definitely sure. didn't feel like it. It it it, it always, uh, you know, it was always just one break for Medvedev, or it, it always felt like Felix can still have a chance in the, in this one. Yeah, and before the before it happened, I also definitely didn't think that, that it was going to be that close. Uh, as as Van said, I mean, after the ATP Cup, it just seemed like this is such a disastrous matchup for Felix. Uh, Medvedev was definitely my favorite to win the Australian Open. And and yeah, to 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 see that sort of uh, a battle between him and Felix, uh, perhaps uh, you know, right now looking at where Felix is, how much progress he's made in 2022, it it all makes a lot more sense than made it back in January. But definitely a, a very high quality and entertaining match. Vanch, I know before we move on from Australia, I know you wanted us to have a quick nod to Igas Fiontech and her quarterfinal. Uh, that she won and you felt that that was a bit of a, a mini turning point or a little boost for her as she would then go on to, of course, having an unbelievable hard court swing in, in North America. Uh, I also just remember that her match against Kanepi, I think it was, uh, was that the quarterfinal against Kanepi? Um, and her unbelievable defense uh, on, was it match point? Was she trying to save match point? I was on the match point. On the match point that she won, yes, exactly, yeah. So yeah. just just give us a quick thirty to sixty seconds on on Ego in Australia. Yeah, I remember Ego playing this match and winning really ugly because she was not she had she was not finding her rhythm from the baseline. Her forehand was very erratic at times. It looked like Kanepi had the upper hand, especially on the serve, especially in the serve and return dynamic throughout the whole match. And it may even it it it, it also looked like at times that uh, Kanepi was just overpowering Ego, and it looked like. You know, she might win it in straight sets, but once Iga got the break back in the second set, pulled out the set in a tie break, it started to get very interesting. And um, Iga actually had to change her tactics quite a bit, uh, you know, move further back, give herself a little bit more time, not get rushed by Kanepi's powerful ground strokes. And Kanepi was playing very well in that tournament. I remember she'd beaten Sabalenka in a third set tie break in the round before. So it, uh, and, you know, she's been to so many major quarterfinals as well. And still there was a question mark on Fiontek whether she can win these type of matches from a set down uh, at that point. So I thought that was pretty significant that she got through that despite as being we... very below her best. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, I'm sure we're going to skate through quite a few matches and, and miss a few, but let's move on from Australia and even move sort of past February and into March. We've got the Indian Wells Miami double for for both uh, the men and the women. For me, a nod has to go towards Nadal Alcaraz in the semi-final at Indian Wells. It was one of those matches where I was sort of falling off my sofa aghast at some of the shots. Owen, I don't know if you remember that match. Yeah, I watched the whole thing. Um, And I remember the first half I was a little concerned because in the middle of the match, it got insanely windy to the point where Mm -hmm. I think a piece of the net like blew off or something um, (laughs) or stuff was getting blown onto the court. Um, But then in the third set, they recovered really well and played a great decider. Um, I think Nadal was only really able to hold Alcaraz off by hitting all these reflex volleys, Um, like a ton of hot shots. Um, Some of them didn't really make much sense. Um, but that spoke to how much Alcaraz was throwing at him. And I remember going into the match, there was, like, I didn't really know who the favorite was, um, even though, you know, Nadal was on this winning streak because Alcaraz had been playing so well. Um, and so I thought it was a great match. Um, and I thought it spoke very well of both of them, like that Nadal was able to hold off this red-hot youngster and that Alcaraz was able to mount as much of a challenge as he did. Yeah, uh, uh, for me, I think it, it bears up quite well in matches of the year, but I mean... Uh, the reason I didn't quite make my seven, I didn't really pursue it, is just because I had like two or three other or three or four other Nadal matches in there already. And I think we didn't want to make it a Nadal fest. So anyway, moving on from that one, uh, let's get to, uh, I don't think I'm missing any others from India was, let's get to Miami and a certain match that also involved Alcaraz. He does, he is a name that pops up quite a lot. One thing I did notice a lot was that on, on the lists that I had, including this one here, much broader list, the Nadal ones that feature, he tends to have just won it in a dramatic fashion. Even the ones on this sort of sub-list that, that Vance and I were discussing earlier, um, and the ones that Djokovic features on, he's he just loses. But I think it, and also to some extent, Sviontek with the Krajcikova, but I think it's because... When Krejcikova, sorry, when when Sviontek and, and and Djokovic won this year, they won a canter, with the odd exception. And when they lost, which wasn't so often, it was incredibly tight. It was incredibly high levels, and and that's just how the year panned out for both players. Other years, I remember, you know, Nadal just sauntering towards a, a Roland Garros title, but it wasn't quite like that this year, and it certainly wasn't like that in Australia. So, anyway, talking of of tight epics. I know Owen and Vanch, you had a, a, a chat. Tell us, t- Owen, tell us your memories of Ketsmanovic, uh, Djokovic, sorry, Ketsmanovic, Alcaraz, and your chat with Vanch and sort of the live happenings. Yeah, so we were doing a podcast. I think it was with Lawanda, right, Vanch? Um, yep. And so we finished, and I think we opened Twitter, and everyone was freaking out about this match. I think the first set had just ended. Um, and so then we started to stream it. Um, on a zoom call and talk about it and i mean i think this is the best quality men's best of three match of the year i remember there being like insane rallies in pretty much every game um and it was one of those matches where it's sort of like each rally like topped the last one until you just like can't really believe what you're seeing um and then i think it all boiled over with that match point where Ketsmanovic hit like a, a really good uh, half volley drop shot and Alcaraz takes like eight giant steps, runs it down from behind the baseline, slides into it, hits the winner and then just falls to the ground. Um, great atmosphere, great quality. Um, that's one I'd like to rewatch. Go on, Vanch. Yeah, similar thing, um, similar feeling that I I had watching it, especially um, once Ketsmanovic won that first set, I thought, ooh, this could get really interesting. And then Carlos raises his level and then we have a really good Third set, the third set, it just felt like every game there was at least two epic points that you would just like that would make the highlight reels. It was just one of those matches where like the highlights would be really, really long <laughs> because there were just so many, so many back and forth exchanges where I, I legit didn't know who was going to win until the very end. And we get to the tie break, and Carlos is three five down, and the last four points he had to play magnificently to win. And that was, I remember thinking, I mean, if Kechmanovic keeps up to this level, um, he's going to be. 
he's going to do a lot more greater things throughout the year. And that didn't quite pan out. And he ended, that ended up being his peak. But it was like, I, I remember that like shot for shot. I, I might even put it ahead of the Madrid uh, semifinal with Novak. It's just, I don't think it'll be as memorable just because of the, um, just because this was a quarterfinal that was a semi and that had one of the all-time greats. And this one had sort oh, of a know. rising player. I will come to you in a second, Damien, on, on this because uh, I, I do want to get to you on a, on a couple of things. But Owen, I, I, you seem quite sure about putting this because uh, as soon as you said to me this was the highest level or, or the most dramatic or whatever, um, as soon as you said that about this particular Ketsmanovic Alcaraz match, I'm thinking. So he's obviously thought about this and he's <laughs> thought I'm putting it above Djokovic Alcaraz. Yeah, I mean, so I think Djokovic Alcaraz is close. Like, I think that match was honestly better than a lot of people gave it credit for. But I think this one, the difference was that both players, especially Ketsmanovic, it felt like they were at their best for pretty much the entire time. And I think in Djokovic Alcaraz, I think the first set Alcaraz was off on the return of serve. The third set, I thought Djokovic was kind of hanging on by his fingernails, even though he did a great job of that, got all the way to a tiebreak. Um, this match, I just thought it was toe-to-toe -to -toe from the very beginning. Didn't really have any lulls. Yeah. Okay. So now we've a uh, nice segue to that Djokovic Alc uh, Djokovic Alcaraz semi-final. Uh, Damien, uh, this for me before we before we do go on anyway, or at least in terms of talking about this match, this was the one I tried hardest for to get on my list. Uh, my list was sort of gradually expanding. I had four or five pretty much all lined up. I managed to get a sixth and a seventh with various people. But trust me, there's not a single Spanish journalist that that exists that I didn't at least try and reach out to to try and get hold of for for this episode. But for one reason or another, it just didn't work out. It was the one I was most desperate for, if you want, because I think it's, for me, it's the one that I thought I might get the most criticism for not having on the list. Do you understand that, Damien? I understand it. And I also have to get back to Alcaraz Kitsmanovic. I'm sorry. Go on, do it. Do I it, Damien. Do, do it. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I think anyone not having either of these matches, actually, on their top five or whatever list is just heresy. It's straight up wrong. It's <laughs> I, I, I cannot really you know seem to even uh, comprehend that sort of decision. Yeah, um, you know, the guys <laughs> talked about Alcaraz Kuzmanovic, of course, but uh, yeah, we it's easy to forget that there was a moment this year where when Miomir Kuzmanovic was like a top ten, top fifteen guy, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that's this match is like the best best encapsulation of that. Of course, later on. We saw, you know, the, the problems with his game, the fact that he doesn't really have like an exceptional weapon to, 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 to end points quickly. Uh, they, they sort of started showing more and more. Uh, but yeah, as just as this sort of one reminder that there was this moment, that this guy had a moment when he was insanely strong. And of course, Alcaraz there, yeah. And uh, that, that that's probably my favorite match of the year on the ATP side, okay. I think, although there are a couple of contenders and one of them is definitely, yes, Alcaraz Djokovic. Uh, we've talked about it at nauseum that uh, Alcaraz was probably stronger in the spring than he was at the US Open when it comes to yeah. his levels, but you know, that's how it happens in tennis sometimes. And yeah, that semi, of course, the storyline was amazing with him having just beaten Nadal, which which is crazy too. That match probably wasn't uh, dramatic enough to get into uh, get into the like the top 10, top 20 lists. Um, of course, uh, it's probably not as good as their Indian Wells one. And then he plays Djokovic, another all-time great. Uh, and yeah, it turns out that they're so evenly matched uh, at this point in time. Uh, that's probably also the best that uh, Alcaraz's backhand has looked like ever. And yeah, for, for three hours and 30 something minutes, it, it held up beautifully, fantastic rallies in there. Of course, uh, a tight finish as well. That, that That's probably my favorite ATP match of the year. Or maybe Alcaraz gets one of which, I don't know. But it has, it has to be one of these two. I really, you know, if you watch this one of these, uh, either of these, how are you going to argue against? Okay, Sinner Alcaraz, okay. Uh, generally speaking, Alcaraz, he played the best matches this year, and and yeah, against Kasmanovic and against Djokovic, these are one of the one of them for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, listen, Damien, I, the problem for me with Ketsmanovic is I didn't watch it and and it would have been a lot more work for me to then go over as well, as well as trying to find somebody. But I, I completely 
agree. I think if if you want to um, have the highest level, I mean, Djokovic Alcaraz was one I was desperate to have. But I thought, let's do this show so that way I can fill in a few gaps. But by the way, there's going to be a there's going to be a, a challenger match that, that Damien, you're going to say, what about this one? You didn't have that one in the in the first round in Katowice, and I'd be like, oh, sorry, Damien, I, I did miss that one. That wasn't on my list. But listen, uh, listen, Djokovic Alcaraz. What I'm, you, if, if you said to me. One image, one thought, one moment from the whole match. And normally it's match point or the deciding set tiebreak from that entire match. But if you just said to me, John, just what's your, what's your first thought? It's actually this. I'm going to hopefully just share at least a still from it on the screen. Just give me a second. Uh, can you all see this on the screen, by the way? Yeah. So yeah. it's it's set point. It's, it's he's about to break. Well, he's trying to break serve fifteen forty and uh, and just sort of grab this set. And it's obviously there's been some epic moments just prior to this. But my my image was of him being. I mean, obviously he ends up pretty much on the side of the court uh, to win this point. And I don't know why, but this just sort of encapsulated everything about this match and everything about Alcaraz. If it's possible to encapsulate someone with such a variation in his play. Um, what are your memories of this match, um, Vanch? Yeah, I remember it being extremely epic. This point is a good encapsulation, I think, because um, Alcaraz goes for the backhand drop shot down the line, and then Djokovic yeah. chases it, comes up with a ridiculous angle, and then there's just like this burst of energy, like, is Alcaraz going to get there? And then he mm-hmm. not only gets there, but he pulls off this fantastic winner on the stretch. Super adept at doing that. And then I felt like his serve in this match really was impressing me because he only got broken once against one of the all-time greats and like he his kick serve was actually doing damage to Djokovic's backhand return I thought that was a major dynamic especially um you know once he lost that first set he also had to save a couple break points in the second in two different games and he he came came out on top and then the tie break that he just played was just fantastic he had three winners in that tie break and uh you know really really got the better of Djokovic and Djokovic was playing well in this match. Um, the best he'd looked all year up until that point. And yeah. so, um, so yeah, I thought it really had the goods to be very, very memorable. And also you had the fact that no one's ever beaten Nadal and Djokovic back to back on clay before. So he becomes the first guy to do that. And um, as a team. Yeah. <laughs> and you could say like for the first time all year, you could say that all three of these guys were pretty close to their best in this one tournament. And you can't really say that for a lot of the tournaments this year, maybe Roland Garros, but it's like, it's either this or Madrid. And so I thought this was a really big, this was the most impressive run, I think, to a yeah. title. Yeah, I heard you say that a few weeks ago, Vance. The only thing I would say against that is I just think Nadal was sort of easing himself back into it and hadn't really yeah. been playing well since Indian yeah. Wells, really. I mean, by the way, there's not many matches between the two. But yeah, I get your point. And they were certainly purring to some extent. And certainly these two were purring that day. Um, Owen, uh, have you got anything to add to this, this Alcaraz Djokovic loving? Yeah, I have a lot of opinions or go, go, things go. I want to say about this one. I was re-watching part of it last night. Um, first, I have a question for all of you. So, you know, we know Alcaraz has great defense, right? Um, I, I want you to guess how many forehand winners Djokovic hits in this match. Three and a half hours. It's clay, but, you know, it's quicker in Madrid. How many forehand winners does he get? Four? Seven? Eight or nine? Six. Okay. okay. I mean, I went low because, of course, I can tell the nature of the yeah. of the question. Yeah, you, you could tell there's not yeah, going to be yeah. much. Yeah. There's not going to be many. You're not going to say 12 or something like that. You know? <laughs> by the way, just a complete side issue. If anyone ever says to you, um, you know, I went to London, by the way, and you'll never guess how expensive it is. You'll never guess the price of a beer. Go over the top because then you ruin the joke or ruin the story. <laughs> if, you go, if you go $30 and they go, well, well, actually, it was 18 you go, oh, not too bad, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, I mean, Alcaraz limits Djokovic to an average of two forehand winners per set. Like, and these were long sets. Um, I mean, yeah. there's a point. Alcaraz is serving at four all, love 30 in the third set. Huge point. Djokovic slides into a backhand down the line. It's great. Puts Alcaraz on the run. Makes the sprinting get with his forehand. Leaves Djokovic with kind of a forehand put away. And he slams it into the net. And I think the reason why is because Alcaraz was covering the court so well this entire match. Like, you can blame him for missing that, but I don't think it was going to be a winner because he was struggling so much to hit through Alcaraz. Alcaraz totally took the drop shot out of the equation as well because he was getting to everything. Um, so Djokovic just stopped hitting drop shots. Can't remember the last time he, he did that. Um, 
And so I love this match just for the way that Alcaraz like forced Djokovic out of his comfort zone because you see that so rarely uh, in any set of conditions. Definitely. Damien, anything to add? No. <laughs> no, I think we can go to the next one. Yeah. Uh, but, but this this definitely belongs on the list. I understand why you didn't have it, but you know you wanted to, so we're fine. <laughs> I, I desperately wanted to, and to be honest with you, it not making my list meant I had to do this show. Uh, I just had to. Uh, so I had to squeeze it in somewhere. I mean, listening as well to some of Owen and Vanch's comments about this match, but also about Ketsmanovic uh, as well, and now and now you too as well, Damien. It's it's just that sometimes I can't watch every tennis match in the year, and it, it just gives me a... I know you could say, well, John, do you research? Yeah, but Damien, that's two or three hours more work. <laughs> and, you know, I've got I've got other things to do. There's pubs to go to and, and, uh, and, and stuff like that. So... Uh, let's move on. Um, I'm just trying to think now what else have we got here in terms of... Uh, am I missing anything from this period of the year that you want to just touch on throughout the clay court season, for example, uh, before French Open? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Oh, let me check. <laughs> I think Rome, for example, Monte Carlo. Yeah, City Pass was involved in a couple of good matches in Monte Carlo, wasn't he, Damien? Yeah, it, it wasn't memorable. His run, it wasn't memorable, although there, there was this match against Schwartzman, but it's not on my yeah. match of the year list. No, good, uh, good, I, good. the only have I have before the French Open, I think, is uh, the Strasbourg final between Kerber and Juvan. Okay. I think that's probably my one of my favorite WTA matches of the year. Uh, over three hours as well, three tiebreakers, and one of these uh, one of these uh, very few examples we had this year of Kaya Yuvan having insane potential. I think since that one, he she's won like three matches, which is just crazy if you if you think back to how she played in that final. Also, how Herbert is still able. Well, right now, of course, she's uh, she's pregnant or or something. Uh, but you know, she was still able to play such good tennis on her worst surface statistically and. Course, it's our worst surface by far, and uh, yeah, that that's probably one of my favorites of the year. And it's it's probably not as um, you know, uh, it's probably quite well known given it was a final, but maybe maybe you know, it, it didn't come in a big event. But uh, but I yeah. think uh, not many people remember that. But uh, at the time, it made quite an impact. I think. Yep, yeah. uh, a, a quick nod, uh, but nothing more. I think for Nadal Goffin, which I think just gets a nod because of the epic tiebreak. Um, but but I think uh, round three, Madrid and, and all the other things that happened this year, particularly even in Madrid, that, that has to just get, we, we just move on. Listen, Paris, um, uh, Roland Garros, uh, Med, uh, sorry, um, what have we got here? Oh, Nadal Felix. I mean, probably in the fifth set, Nadal had to play his absolute best and he did. And Felix basically didn't do anything wrong. But what can you do when Nadal plus his best at Roland Garros? Well, there we go. Um, any any anyone want to say something about this particular match? Yeah, I um I actually got to watch most of that fifth set um from the stadium um oh, and okay. that and that was a pretty special experience because I think um like you said I think Nadal really did peak he um I think he hit like fifteen winners and four on four servers in that set and oh, Felix wow. was able to hold on to his serve until three four um when Nadal played a basically a perfect return game um so that was a very exciting set um because at least. Maybe I was just caught up in the drama, but at least at the beginning of that set, it didn't feel like a given to me that Nadal was going to win. Um, and I really wanted to see Nadal Djokovic in the next round. Um, so I was mm -hmm. very invested. Um, yeah, I think that was probably one of the best 6-3 sets of the year, certainly. Yeah, in terms of quality, and, and, and certainly that deserves to get a mention. But uh, but I think there were dips from Nadal and, and perhaps even to some extent Felix, but particularly from Nadal that suggests it probably wouldn't uh, really come in a, in, a, in a top 10 match of the year. Uh, I think we can move on from the French Open, actually, because, I mean, we obviously cover Djokovic-Nadal um, in depth. I've got one I wanted to mention from the French on, as well, and it's Chilich against Rublev in the, in the quarterfinals. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. No, that uh, was exciting. Yeah, 
uh, it went, uh, I think it was a bit up and down. Like there, there wasn't really a moment where they both peaked. Of course, they both have such insane forehands and at various times of the match, you know, they just dominated with them. And, uh, but then that the fifth set came, which was probably the tightest. And I think that just drama wise, and then that perfect 10 point tie break from Chilich. I honestly would struggle to name a more perfect 10 point tie break by anyone. Of course, I'm not talking about like, you know, drama and epic because it was 10-2, I believe, but just the, the, the quality, the performance of one player. I also just saw that, that there was one comment about Alcaraz Ramos Vinolas, which uh, maybe, you know, the, the quality was maybe a little weaker than in most the, of the matches that we, that we are talking about. But I think, yeah, it, it was very memorable for sure. Uh, one of these uh, matches where Carlos struggles against someone just really making him play and giving him a, an unpleasant ball, but you know, he came through. And uh, at the time, I guess we thought that it would have more implications for the future, right? Because maybe he would play another Djokovic in the semis. He didn't, mm. but yeah. Alcaraz was involved in quite a few. I mean, we've already mentioned him several times, not just in epic matches, but he was involved in quite a few. Uh, not slogfest, that's the wrong word, but five setters early on in slams as well. I mean, I remember him playing Chilich in five sets, albeit, I mean, fourth round is not super early on, but we've got this one here. We've obviously got him losing to Berrettini as well in Australia. So it's uh, it's never easy with, with Alcaraz one way or another. Anyway, uh, French Open, I think, tick. I'm not sure if there was anything else. Oh, just quickly on that, that um, Chilich, uh, sorry, that Chilich tiebreak. I was watching that on a big screen outside of Roland Garros, but you weren't inside where you were in. I think I might have watched that with you, or at least... You might have watched that with um, me, yeah. Because we didn't did. meet outside the big screen. Yeah, we did. Yeah. I knew we met that day, but I wasn't right. sure whether we, we were together right at that exact moment. Yeah, I um, the days are funny, fuzzy in my head as well, just because like there's so much going on, but I think that might have been it. We certainly met that day, and, and quite possibly, and probably, uh, we were so busy talking, and we thought, well, tell you what, we'll let Damien watch this tiebreak, and we'll talk to him in six months about it. So, um, anyway, uh, we'll move on from all of us. Wimbledon and the grass court season, I'm sorry, grass court lovers. I just find it's a lot more difficult to pull out amazing matches. A quick nod to Serena against um, Tan. I was actually in the stadium for that match at Wimbledon. Um, uh, I think it wasn't the highest level, but there was drama. There was the Serena narrative. At that time, we didn't really know about her retirement plans, but it was certainly on the horizon. Uh, but I'll tell you what I liked about that in a way, in terms of the epic drama elements to it. You know, really, there were lots of moments when I thought Serena was in trouble, but there was also lots of moments in the third set when I thought, she's got this done. I think she was serving for it. She was also three or four love, I think, up in the in the, in the the tie break. Uh, there was obviously the, the, the deciding set tie break, so it went to 10. Uh, but there were some errors. I remember a drive volley from her, I think, at about four love that she probably should have won. And the atmosphere was insane. So a quick nod for that. Are there any grass court matches, uh, Vanch, that I'm I'm forgetting? Um, I thought there were a couple of good ones on the WTA. Um, I thought Tatiana Maria was a pretty good story uh, getting yeah. to the semis. She had the, she had an insane match with Ostapenko in the fourth round. I remember seeing some of that. It's like Ostapenko had these insane leads in the second and third sets. And um, I think she was like double break up and it looked like it was going to be straight sets. And then uh, Maria comes back and wins 7-5, 7-5. And then, uh, and then the next round against Niemeyer, that was kind of interesting as well. I think that went to a third set tie break. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I think I think that's about it on the women's yeah. side. I mean, the Wimbledon final, the women's Wimbledon final is the only one that went to three sets in, in the whole year. I, I think that, still think there was a quite a bit of it. I think the, the final of the US Open was quite interesting, really, until probably the match was done. So that helps. But it was at least the only one that went to the third set. There were swings and, and roundabouts, if you like, in that final. So maybe I should give that a nod too. Uh, especially as it was a slam final. Um, okay, let's move on to North America, August, September time. Uh, a quick nod, I think, for PCB against um, uh, against her catch, Damien. I know that you spoke about this previously and you you defected from your Polish roots and had subtle feelings for for Mr. PCB and, and hoping that he might uh, might get over the over the line, so to speak, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he just, you know, he's never talked about enough. He's always underrated. You know, guys like Nikir just calling him, I don't think he called him like a clay court specialist, but he just said that, you know, all 
all points he has come from clay events, which was just straight up not true. But you know, mm. the, the the truth is that many tennis fans, the general public, sort of, uh, if you may, believes it. And yeah, I was just I was just really uh, hoping that that he would finally get like a big title to his name, something that he will be able to you know, just uh, go down in history as. And and yeah, I just believe that Hurkac will get more chances like that, and PCB yeah. might not. I really enjoyed this match, and I think it's the third set in particular, and it also probably had one of the points of the year, in my opinion. Now, I, uh, if you watched all the points of the year, probably about 80 would involve Alcaraz if it was a top 100, um, and I'm sure Djokovic and Nadal would feature from time to time, but uh, but PCB and her catch a bit less often, and, and therefore I'm going to mention that there was one with tweeners and lobs and... And, and you just didn't know who was going to win it, but probably most of the time PCB was on the on the back foot, if you like. And I always think it's important. If, you, if you're down in the point at some point or, or down throughout the point, you've got to win the point for it to be a sort of point of the year contender, if you like. It's no point just having one guy pushing you side to side for 30 shots and then he wins it, if you like. Um, I also think the other thing is you've got to do it with a winner as well. So those things were all ticked with that. Anyway, listen, moving on. Uh, anything I'm missing before I get to the US Open? Good. Uh, Kvitova Muguruza uh, was one that I did sort of try a little bit for my series, but didn't have any luck on, mainly because, of course, it goes to a third set tie break. I don't know. I always had a feeling that Muguruza might not win this, and it didn't. It turned out that way. So, who watched this one, by the way? Anyone? Yeah, I watched quite a bit of it. Um, okay, Vanch. It was one of the better matches of, of the US Open on the women's side. I mean, mm-hmm. um, like Muguruza, up until that point, hadn't been hadn't been playing that well. But then in the first couple of rounds of uh, New York, she had some good wins. She beat um, she beat Clara Tossin, I remember, um, and then she beat she beat someone else too. I can't don't exactly recall off the top of my head. But then um, in the third round, she had a couple of match points. It was kind of similar to the Osaka one uh, from 2021 at the Australian Open, where she had a couple of of chances, and you think, oh, if she wins that, you know, maybe that could be like the start of a really good run to another to like deep in the second week. But I thought it was just two two players who um are not like who are not at their peaks right now, but just sort of came back to it for like one match or like one yeah. set, especially the third set. So it was uh, it's always cool to see that. And then I just remember the tiebreak being super dramatic and Kavitova hit this amazing forehand winner on like match point, saved a couple of match points all with winners and aces. So it was all um it was like Two players like just redlining for like a whole super tie break, which I thought was great. Canopy as well, uh, Sabalenka needs to get a, a recognition. It wasn't the highest level, but I think anyone who's five one up in a deciding set and doesn't go on to win the match, and there was there was match points and there was drama. And Sabalenka often brings drama to the table one way or another. And and uh, I'm just going to have a quick mention for that. And I think the Sabalenka Sviontek semi final probably. As close as anybody took her in, in that tournament or the French Open, the two that Sviontek won this year. I mean, she was a breakup Sabalenka in the third set. I think she brought it, and sometimes she doesn't in these biggest matches. Um, so that is something, although maybe you might argue that she also lost it to some extent. Obviously, I think she was 4-2 up in the decided set. I was in the stadium for that match, and of course what it did have that semifinal was you know, you weren't quite sure which way it was going. I think that adds to to the argument if you're going to include it in a in a sort of top five or ten match of the year. Owen, have you got any memories of that semifinal? Yeah, I remember watching the end, and I sort of had the same thoughts as you. Like, I didn't know which way it was going to go. I, I think mm-hmm. if it had happened on clay, then maybe there's more of a sense of inevitability that Sviantec is going to turn it around. But I think on hard court, she hadn't really been at her best earlier in the tournament. You know, a, a redlining Sabalenka is very, very difficult to deal with. Um but I remember in those last four games, Iga just locked down. And there was a point in at four all, I think she was serving 30-15. And she lost the point, but she made a couple ridiculous gets. Made Sabalenka hit three or four point shots that should have ended the point. And I remember watching that and it was like, okay, she's not giving away anything. Um, and so then when she ended up reeling off those last four games, it felt very well deserved because she just like snapped into lockdown mode. Um I was just very impressed with how she won that tournament in general, because I think um, those last two rounds at Roland Garros, she was just at her dominating best. But the U.S. Mm -hmm. Open, I think she had to struggle with uh, her BRC game a lot more. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Definitely, yeah. Okay, I'm going to move on because we've got one or two other matches I want to uh, get into in, in a bit more detail. Uh, a quick nod, perhaps, for two, a two-set match on the men's side that didn't get into a third set because, uh, unfortunately, Medvedev had to pull out injured. So that's never going to make a, a top 10 matches of the year. But I know Vanch uh, sort of just had a quick nod for that one, for the two sets of quality we saw between Djokovic and Medvedev in Astana, I think it was. Um, also moving on to Paris Bercy, I think the City Pass uh, Djokovic match gets a lot of love. I probably don't give it as much love as some people do, just because I think there was an air of inevitability about it. Even when City Pass was a breakup in the a mini breakup in in the tie break. Damien, have you got any thoughts on this semi final? No, I'm just laughing because I guess you just hate Tsitsipas. Uh, no, I, I also don't think it was one of the best matches of the year. I do have to give a nod to one uh, pre-Paris uh, post-US okay. Open match, which sure. was Rindernech beating Karenio Busta in oh, Gijon. Yeah. Uh, that crazy uh, tiebreaker, not super tiebreaker, but that crazy tiebreaker at 6-6 in the third. Uh, of course, a big story as well with Rindernech uh, talking about uh, his grand. Uh, Grandma, grandma, I think, who died just a couple of days earlier, and okay. you know, he said that he was playing for her that week. That I think he missed the funeral because he had to go to Hiho. And okay. uh, even without that, of course, that was uh, you know the, the, the craziness that the guys were coming up with on all of the match points. I think there was like multiple passing shot winners on on match points for both guys potentially even. Uh, and and yeah, that, that that's actually one of my my favorite ATP matches of the year as well. That one will not go down in history. I know that, uh, <laughs> you know. But for now, we can keep talking about it and maybe just preserve its uh, you know the memory of it for a Absolutely. little while longer. Yeah, Djokovic City Pass. I'm also not super crazy about it. For the you know the first set just looked completely like their match in Astana, where mm-hmm. it seemed like yeah. you know indoors Djokovic is gonna kill City Pass every single time. Uh, you know, the, the serve just crashes the back end return, and, and that's it. Uh, and then suddenly it, it kind of went a little, uh, you know, all right for uh, for Djokovic. And I, I'm yeah, I, I just don't think it's much of the year quality, no, don't Damien, think it's as good as most people think. Wasn't Rinder, did Rinderneck save a load of match points in two or three matches yeah. in a row or something? Um, two or three matches in a row, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm getting confused with a different player. It might have been somebody else, but it was. I thought it was Rindernek, but they they kept playing matches at various tournaments. At least not in not in Hihon. Maybe in another event, but not. In I thought Hihon. maybe two or three tournaments in a row. But listen, somebody will be correcting me in the live chat or, or elsewhere on that one. But listen, let's let's uh, move on because I do want to just say that Paris Bercy. Okay, before we get to the final. Um, I'm just thinking about it now. There's a good, strong argument uh, to say maybe that was the best Masters 1000 tournament of the year, maybe the best tournament of the year, just because we had the the narrative with um, uh, with Gilles Simon and he was involved in a couple of epic matches. Of course, I think he had uh, Murray was serving for the match against him and he went on to win that. And of course, he had a three-setter, which was pretty tight against Taylor Fritz that he emerged from. Um, and that's before we get the fact that the person who ends up going on to be champion, by the way, in the whole tournament, had to save match points against Stan Wawrinka in the first round, I think it was. Um, then you had Nadal as well, was in a great match against um, uh, Tommy Paul. So there was a lot of... Uh, and then we just mentioned Tsitsipas as well against uh, against Djokovic. So there was a lot of good matches in this tournament, weren't there, Owen? Yeah, Um I- and I think that final with Runa and Djokovic was quite good. I think it's maybe a little overrated in my opinion, but okay. I like I don't think you can argue with um with a lot of it. Like that last game was fascinating to me with Runa serving for the match because Djokovic sort of turned it on and he had a bunch of break points. Um, but Runa was playing very well on the break points and Djokovic couldn't quite close. Um and so after a while, I sort of started to think to myself, like, oh my gosh, Runa is going to win this because um, you know, Djokovic is getting to break point, but he can't convert it. And, you know, finally he did. 
Um, and I think sort of similar to that Alcaraz match in Madrid, that's not the kind of match that Djokovic loses. Like you can point to the fact that he had an exhausting semi against Tsitsipas, but when it goes long, when it's when he wins the first set, when it's um, when it goes deep in a third, um, Djokovic seems to get it done every single time. And I think this year, like against those two young guys, he didn't. Um, and I think that speaks very well of their futures that they were able to beat him in that way. Definitely. Uh, nice, by the way. Good one here. David Fakino against Hercatch and Wimbledon. That was a pretty uh, special one. Um, yeah, I agree. But uh, of course, as you, you mentioned, Djokovic doesn't normally lose in this manner. I think he'd never lost a Masters 1000 final having won the first set. Um, uh, by the way, I do think this match, if it wasn't the match of the year, and I, I probably agree with you there, Owen, I, I've actually sort of reevaluated. I think I had a bit of recency bias and I probably had it on a par with Djokovic, um, Alcaraz, but let me finish my sentence, audience. I have very much reevaluated that since. But it certainly had the game of the year, Van Schott. Do you think that's a, there's a good shout to say had the game of the year in, in the last game of the match? What do you think, Van Yeah, I thought the last game was quite compelling. You can't really uh, argue with the quality there. I mean, Djokovic had six break points, and I think he made like three of them. Rune was super clutch, and then three of them, I thought Djokovic missed a makeable shot. And there were mm -hmm. also times in that match in the third set, Djokovic up a break. He had this easy put away volley, yeah. and he just sort of, you know, gave it right back to Rune. And Rune was able to get on top of that rally and was a little bit uncharacteristically clutch throughout the whole match. I think he had three break points at the start of the second set as well. So I just felt like, uh, and then, you know, Rune deserves a ton of credit because. Uh, to close out that last game is super impressive the way he did it uh, and to beat five top 10 players. But uh, I kind of, I, I definitely agree with Owen. I was very shocked when it came out that it was number one on tennis TV's list. Like they had Kachmanovic Alcaraz and then they had Djokovic Alcaraz, but they had this one at one. And I was just like, Oh, wow. Some uh, but that's amongst, that's, is that amongst masters matches or ma matches that they covered and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. All, non-major. Yeah, non matches. Okay. Yeah, that's 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 a little on the ATP side, probably a little bit optimistic. Damien, what are your thoughts on this final? Yeah, I think they also had Sinner Karnyabusta from Miami yeah. on that list, which to me was just what? I mean, it was a decent <laughs> match, saving match points, of course. Yeah, that as we said, that's always a you know a sort of a benefit, but uh nah i mean that that was just a very okay mediocre ATP match yeah. uh having the number five was crazy yeah uh Djokovic Rune, not not my number one but it certainly deserves to be mentioned i fully agree that it was the game of the year this is the kind of situation where usually the young gun breaks down and Djokovic yeah. wins the tie break making no unforced errors that yeah. didn't happen i i would sort of agree though that uh you know on, on some of these break points Djokovic, it was Djokovic who made the mistakes which is a bit uncharacteristic i suppose uh but yeah definitely uh as a whole as well like that that rune paris 1000 run if he goes on to you know win slams in the future to become number one this is the tournament that we're going to be talking about for years to come you know and and just for the fact that he beat five top 10 players to, to win yeah. a master's thousand event which uh, is basically like it's impossible to do really because how many times are you even going to face top ten, five top 10 players on the way to the title you probably can't be a top 10 player yourself so that's you know that that might be a record that really stands the test of time and and um, you know as as a closer to that to that uh brilliant run i think that that match was uh, you know worked very well yeah, yeah. I, I think what I like about that final game, perhaps, is that um, that that you're right. There's probably some moments where the quality wasn't at its highest. I mean, actually, Runa did double fault on one of his two match points as well. So, and yeah, it's just, it's just because it was one of those 15, 20 mat, uh, point, or 15, 20 minute games, if you like, and uh, and so on and so forth. By the way, I think game of the year on the women's side may well have been in the uh, Kazakina. Um, because uh, at Kina Garcia uh, a match, but uh, we'll, we'll, we've already got that in my list of seven, so we won't dwell on that. Any Anything else we're going to add before we close this up? Owen, any final thoughts? Um, I think for game of the year, um, Nadal and Medvedev had one in um, Acapulco in the semis. Um, okay. I think it was Nadal serving 3-2 in the second set and saved like seven break points. It was 20 okay. minutes or something. So I okay. just have that as a candidate. Um, uh -huh. But besides that, yeah, I think we um, I think we covered a lot. Yeah, I do too. Uh, by the way, any thoughts on tiebreaker of the year? I've got, I've got Manorino, Nadal in my head, but I'm sure yeah. there may have been another one. But that Nadal Manorino one was insane. Not saying the highest quality. I, I think the one, the point when Nadal wins it, Manorino puts it in the only place where Nadal yeah, might was, actually, actually. That's I know, so hard. I know. 
I know, I know. Um, but anyway, uh, Cranium you know, was surrender neck was uh, yeah. Was there as well. Again, I was okay. just to say the same. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I think that was the time break of the year. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thank you for stopping by, everybody. Uh, for those of you that tuned in, nice to see Ashley just uh, joining the party there as well. Uh, but yes, I think Owen. By the way, I really love your point about. Uh, in a way, we're looking positively at Runa and uh, and Alcaraz in terms of them winning those matches against Djokovic, uh, rather than sort of pushing Djokovic, Nadal, etc., out the door early and 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 the death knell. Because I think probably other defeats that they've had or, or or will perhaps have will be going. Oh, they're past it. But actually, we're going. You know what? It's because these two finally are the real deal okay. after having a few doubts about the the previous generation, if you like. Yeah, and uh, I want to quickly shout out Damien as well, because I think he was on board the the Runa train a lot earlier mm. than than anyone else, I, probably for Alcaraz as well. But I remember you tweeting about Runa, like, probably like a full year ago, um, before he really did um, anything that caught, like, mainstream attention. So, uh, well done on that. There we go, Damien, kudos for you. Uh, all, all aboard the Damien train. <laughs> All right, listen, uh, thanks, Vance, for stopping by, by the way. Um, it's been great having you on board again. And really, I really wanted to have you three for various different reasons, but mainly because you you had a good knowledge about all these matches. But I, I really like the story of, of you and Owen uh, while, while you're doing a podcast and Ketsmanovic and uh, Alcaraz are tearing things up. So thanks for coming on board today, Vance. Yeah, pleasure as always, John. Happy to do it again. Great, wonderful. Uh, and to the rest of you and the world that decided to tune in today, I'm going to leave you with this little goodbye message and the rest of us will sail off into the sunset, uh, whether that be on eastern side of the US uh, or in California or deepest, darkest Poland. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.